you have your Bibles, if you'd open to uh, the book of James, chapter 1, it has been a real, um, real great study in the book of Galatians for many months, and for the last few weeks, we've been studying Galatians 3, and it's been a very um, heady, complex, and intense study. And it's going to get much more so in terms of theology and doctrine in the verses to come. We're going to deal with law and grace and the covenants and Old Testament characters like Sarah and Hagar and how that all interplays with the gospel of Christ for us today. So after finishing study last week, you know, my brain was very tired. My brain was kind of overwhelmed. So I thought it was a good opportunity for us to take a short uh, break in terms of James, just one Sunday, one Sunday break, study this passage, we'll get back into Galatians next time I'm up here. So with that, if you would stand and we'll uh, read the Word of God. Um, your bulletin says we're going to read from verse 16, but we're going to read from verse 19 through 25. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Please be seated. <clears throat> So this past Sunday, after uh, studying Galatians 3, I sensed in my heart I needed a break, kind of step away from, step away a little bit and get back to Galatians 3 later. I sensed that with you as well. So Monday morning, I was thinking, well, what, what do we want to study uh, this coming Sunday? And so with no intention whatsoever, I opened up my Facebook account and uh, I was reading through people's posts. And a friend of mine at Faith Bible Church, at John Coe's church, put on her, or put on her status uh, James 1.22, be doers of the word. And right there I, I considered how that all relates with our study of the gospel, our study of uh, justification by grace through faith alone, and how we're sanctified by grace through faith alone. How does that play out, being doers of the Word of God? So Monday morning, I began my study in James 1, and I learned so much. And so right, right by Tuesday afternoon, I, know, I knew that we're going to study this together. Now, looking at this passage, uh, we want to start with verse 21. Um, that therefore is key. Right? Anytime you read the Bible and you find the word therefore, you want to find out why it is there for, right? Why it is there in the first place. It's a connecting word. It tells us that verse 21 is related to the previous 
passage. We find, we're finding that James here is contrasting false righteousness with true righteousness. In verses 19 and 20, he highlights for us marks of false righteousness. Someone who is not a good listener. They are stubborn, right? They are uh, unteachable. Um, So instead of being quick to hear, they're slow to hear. They're hard of hearing. And it's not a physical malady. It's a spiritual malady. Their hearts are so filled with themselves. Their hearts are hardened that when they hear the gospel preached, when they read the scriptures, they're not hearing what the, mes- the message of the scriptures. Not only that, they're not slow to speak, they're quick to speak. They love to hear themselves talk. Instead of listening to others as a means of grace to receive help, they're always trying to voice their opinions, their thoughts, their ideas, rather than hear from the scriptures. And then they are not slow to anger, they're quick To get angry. And verse 20, this is uh this is not good for man's anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires for them. They think that's righteousness, and James is saying, No, that is not righteousness. Righteousness that is fueled by anger. The Greek word there is orge, and uh does not refer to an explosive outburst or a temper, but an inner deep resentment that sees and smolders, a life that is compelled and, and, and produced by this kind of anger is not righteousness in the sight of God. And we find that anger is a powerful emotion, and anger is often the fuel for religious piety. It is often seen as a fruit of religious piety, and we saw that firsthand with what's going on in Afghanistan for the past few weeks where some crazy guy in Florida burned the Quran and they're angry for the Muslims. Quran is literally God, is literally Allah himself. And in their anger, their protest, many were killed. And, and, and for them, it was their righteousness. It was their religion. It was their acting out of their faith. And uh, we see a clear uh, illustration of, of verses 19 and 20. That is not righteousness the sight of God. Well, we see it in false religions, but we see this kind of anger even in the Christian community, even among many Christians. I, I think we see a lot of angry Christians out there, maybe even in our own church. Believers who are always looking for an argument. They love debating. They're always upset, they're constantly brooding, they're discontent, they're grumbling, they're complaining, arguing, they're poor listeners, they're quick to speak, and they are quick to become angry. James is saying, no, that is not true righteousness. This is the kind of righteousness you want to avoid, you want to cast off. Anger... Anger hinders true prayer, 1 Timothy 2.8. Ephesians 4.27, anger gives our enemy a foothold into our lives, into our relationships. And here, uh, Numbers 20, 
We saw how Moses, I mean, I understand his anger. I can, you know, empathize. I think all, everyone here, because some of you guys empathize, especially parents. Imagine two million people complaining at you, right? And you've never been to the wilderness of Paran. <laughs> you've never gone to the promised land. You're, a, you're leading this caravan, and you've never been here before. And they're asking you questions, they're complaining. And so Moses, in his anger, strikes the rock twice. And uh, he can't enter the promised land. So James is saying, he's calling us against false righteousness. It does not avoid anger. Anger is not your friend. Anger is powerful. Right? We can do a lot of things better with anger, right? My wife and I are talking about exercising. Anger helps us exercise, right? I lift much better when I'm angry, right? I play better on the court. Some of you guys probably work, do, do better when you're angry, but not in our Christian lives. Anger is in no way an aid in your walk with Christ. It is it produces only one thing, false righteousness, James calls, calls us away from false righteousness, and he calls us to, in verses 21 through 25, true righteousness, and he highlights three marks, three traits, three characteristics of true righteousness. First of all, verse 21, the first mark of true righteousness, practical righteousness, begins with looking at yourself. And when you look at yourself, only one response is called for, and that is repentance. The first mark of true righteousness is the presence of repentance. Therefore, instead of anger, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Right? Put these away. So false righteousness is fixated on others. By false righteousness, you're angry at others. You're blaming others. You're huffing and puffing because other people are sinning, because other people are disobeying, because others are not treating you right or treating God right. True righteousness is not fixated on others. It's not accusing other people. True righteousness accuses self. Accuses self, repents of sin within it reminded me of uh, these posters that, that I found on the internet a long time ago. I, I haven't really seen one firsthand, but they're called the demotivational posters. Right? It's the opposite of the motivational posters that we see in dentist offices. Right? These are demotivational posters. Uh, one poster of a, had a guy with his hand in his face after he lost uh, a race. And the bold letters it said under there, defeat, when your best just isn't good enough. Another one was get to work. You aren't being paid to believe in the power of your dreams. Right? Another one was uh, motivation. If a pretty poster and a cute saying are all it takes to motivate you, you probably have a too easy of a job. The kind robots will be doing soon. One more, stupidity. Quitters never win, winners never quit. But those who never win and never quit are idiots. <laughs> well, the last one was why I'm, I'm reminding me of this. The bold letters were dysfunction. The only consistent feature in all of your dissatisfying relationships is you. 
Right? So you're angry at all these people. You have all these relational issues. And the only consistent feature in all these relationships that are so dissatisfying is you. Right? So Mark of True Righteousness says those magic words, it's me. Right? It's me. It's not my parents. It's not my job. It's not my coworkers. It's not my children. It's not the church. It's not the pastors. Right? Not my care group leader. It's me. And then in my relationship with God, the problem is not God. It's not his word. It's those magic words. It's me. It's the mindset, 1 Timothy 1.15, of all the sinners. Paul said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost sinner. I am the chief sinner. That's true repentance. Luke 18, the Pharisee stands up and he prays about himself. That's false righteousness. True righteousness is that task collector on the last row beating his chest and he says, forgive forgive me, a sinner. I am the sinner. True repentance is marked by repentance where you put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So literally it's filth, it's dirt, but figuratively it's talking about bad behavior, moral uncleanness, impurity, licentiousness, defilement, wickedness. Zodiac's word study says, an evil habit of mind. It is hateful feelings, trouble and worry. So it's talking about behavior and also the heart, right? And rampant wickedness. And this is throughout the scriptures. We are called to renounce sin, put away sin, cast it away. We are not to um, be partakers of iniquity, be practicing evil and wickedness in our hearts or in our conduct. Exodus, Ezekiel 18.31 Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed. Cast it away. Romans 13, 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Ephesians 4, 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires. 2 Corinthians 7 1. Since we have these promises, since we have the gospel, let us cleanse ourselves. Right? Let us put off, cast away, lay aside every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Right. So the first mark of true, true righteousness is repentance. The second is. Um, believing the gospel, receiving the gospel. Verse 21, the second part, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So uh, this tells us that repentance is a means to one end and not the end. The goal of the Christian life is not godly sorrow. It's not grieving over sin. 
It's not being depressed and mulling and dwelling and camping and starting a fire, feeling sorry for our sins. Repentance is not the end. It's a means to an end. So some of us, we have to move on. Some of us are dwelling on our sins and our guilt and our shame when that's not God's desire for us. God's desire is we want one look at sin and ten looks at cross, look at our sins, repent, and move on. We see this in, in Joshua chapter 7. And, and Joshua is called after Moses passed to lead the nation of Israel to, to take over the promised land. As he does so, he's a mighty warrior. Victory after victory. Like the Lakers, they're on a roll for a while, 17 and 1. Joshua was like 7 and 0. Victory after victory. And they come upon the uh, Amorites um, in chapter 7. And because of Achan's sin, they lose this battle. And so the confidence of the whole nation is shaken. So Joshua as the leader, as a good leader, he takes blame. He takes responsibility. We lost. We lost men. We lost this battle. This is going to embolden our enemies. The news of this is going to go out. And they're going to be emboldened and, and, and get, gain courage to conquer us. So he goes and he tears his clothes. He falls to the earth on the face before the ark until evening. And he is repenting and grieving and he's praying to God. God says, comes to Joshua in chapter 7 verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you on your face? And then Joshua, Israel has sinned. They transgressed your covenant. We cannot stand before our enemies. We need to turn back. We're devoted for destruction now. How can we go on? And God says, again, get up. Like, enough of this. Get up. Consecrate your people. Right? Devote yourself. The enemy will not stand against you. Right? It's good. That Joshua is grieving and repenting of sin, the nation of Israel as well. But we're not to dwell there. We're not to replay our sins again and again and again. Keep bringing it up. Do you have friends that keep bringing up an offense that they did against you years ago? And you've forgiven them, but it becomes harder and harder because every time we're off and you guys get together... They keep bringing up how they are sorry for what they did to you, what they said to you, how they wronged you, and it's hindering your relationship. You want to move on. Well, likewise with God. God wants us to eliminate evil, but there is always a positive exhortation that follows this renouncing of evil. It is moving on from renouncing, putting off, and putting on. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, we find this again. Put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Put it away. And then instead, like newborn babes, infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by you may grow up in your salvation. Put off and grow in your salvation. Colossians 3, 5, put to death whatever is earthly in you. And then verse 12, put on as God's chosen and holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then at the end, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing 
whatever you do in word and deed, verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It always comes, goes together. Right? Repent and believe. Luther said all of Christian life is repent and believe. I would add one more. Uh, but really, that is the foundation. Repent. Repentance is not the end. It's not the goal of the Christian life. It's a means where we put off and we put on Jesus. That's what James is saying here. Put off all these sins, your filthiness, your rampant wickedness. And notice what he says in verse 21. Receive the implanted word. What is this word? What is the identity of this word? Uh, Go back a few verses to verses 17 and 18. Um, Verse 17 talks about there's always change. The seasons change. You count on one thing in life, it's change. We're always changing. Only one person doesn't change, and that is God. God does not change. There is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 18, through his unchanging nature, God has given to us salvation of his own will. Unilaterally, he chose, he saved us. He brought us forth. He saved us. He recreated us. He caused us to be born again. How? By the word of truth. There it is again. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I think the context tells us that James is talking about not the scriptures, not the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, because even in his writing, the canon was not closed. The Bible wasn't finished being written. It was still being written as he was writing James chapter 1. He's not talking about graphe, the scriptures. He's talking about the gospel. Gospel is the, the means through which God brought us forth and God saved us. And it is the word that's implanted in us because we're believers. We see Paul using the same phrase and using it synonymously with the gospel. When Paul said in Ephesians 1.13, he, he tells us what he's talking about. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, What is the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation. Colossians 1, 3 through 5, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth. The gospel the euangelion, the good news. And then 1 Peter 1. So Paul, James, and Peter. 1 Peter 1, 23, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. What is this imperishable seed, this word of God, that, that has caused us to be born again? All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. He's quoting Isaiah here. And then in verse, end of verse 25. And this word 
is the Evangelion, the gospel that was preached to you. So James is saying the second mark of true righteousness is that you receive what you already have. It's not a new thing. Christianity is not constantly learning new and better and greater things. Christianity is God saved you. God brought us forth through the implanted word. And all of us have Christ, grace, mercy, gospel, the cross, the message of truth in us. But true righteousness is we continue to receive that truth. Every time we listen, every time we meditate, every time we, we read the Bible, we receive this message into our hearts. Now, what does it mean to receive? It's just another term for believe. The Greek word is dekomai. It's equivalent to faith. I'm not going to project these verses. Trust me, they're there. In Acts 8, 11, the Samaritans received the word of God and the apostles rejoiced. What do you mean they received the word of God? Well, they believed in the gospel. In Acts 11, the Gentiles, it says, received the word of God. They believed in the word of God. And then 1 Thessalonians 2.13, do I have this? I might not have it. Trust me, it's there, right? Paul said, we thank, you, we thank God constantly for when you received the word of God, you heard from us, you accepted it, you received it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you as believers. So equivalent is receiving, is believing, is trusting, is depending, is hoping. That's the second mark of true righteousness, that you believe what you already believe, that you receive what you already have. It's not a new thing. It's the same message that's in us. And we trust in it again and again and again. Um, James qualifies it with meekness there. Uh, the Greek word is uh, proutes. And uh, ESV says uh, meekness. NIV says humbly accept the word which is in you. I think uh, here in its context, metaphorically, humility is a better translation. It seems more appropriate. The idea of being humble before the gospel. The idea that I already know the gospel, why do I have to receive it again? That's not humility. That is not humility. I would say that is brashness, that's arrogance, that's blindness, especially in light of all the filth and rampant wickedness in our lives. So if you have no filth, if you have no wickedness, then you can say, "Uh, I don't need the gospel. I already have it. You can. But if there is all filthiness and rampant wickedness in your life, then obviously you have the gospel, but you're not trusting in it right now. I'm not trusting in it right now. That is the reason for sins in my life. And so seeing our sins causes us to humbly approach the gospel again and saying, I need this. I am, I desperately need this. 
This message is for me because of my current lack of holiness and righteousness. Humility is important because, you know, without humility, God is opposed to you. Without humility, your heart is proud, arrogant, and hard. And God's word cannot be sown in your heart. You will not receive it. Your heart is closed to Christ. Right. If Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, God said, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at my word. So God is looking for a dwelling place, and he cannot dwell in a person's heart whose heart is proud and arrogant and filled with self-righteousness. The one to whom God will look is the one who is humble, and they are so humble, they tremble before the word. And they say, I need this word. I want to receive this word. This tells us our spiritual growth is not about how smart we are. It's not the condition of our brains. It's not how disciplined we are, how, how well we follow through. It's not about our physical abilities. This tells us spiritual maturity, true righteousness is really largely dependent upon the condition of our hearts. The spiritual issue is not a physical issue. It's not an intelligence issue. It's a spiritual heart issue. And this is, uh, you know, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago about the parable of the sower in our hearts and how God sows the gospel in believers' hearts, but there is thorns and thistles. And what is that? That's filthiness and wickedness. So if we hold on to these sins, God could preach the gospel to you himself and there'll be joy for a few seconds, a few minutes, a few hours, but it'll be choked out. And no fruit if you don't repent. Also, if your heart is proud and arrogant and filled with self-righteousness, oh, here we go with the gospel again. I don't need this. Your heart is hard. It'll just bounce right off the pathway and Satan will take it away. Right? It is the humble heart, the broken heart, the contrite spirit, the open heart that receives the word, receives the message of the scriptures, the gospel, that is uh, the second mark of true righteousness. Now, now, I had said repent and believe, but I think, I think Luther may, maybe said this. I, I got I to think he did because I know he didn't like the book of James, but I got to think he, he, didn't think he didn't say just repent and believe. There is a third mark of true righteousness. Repent. Believe and be doers of the word, doers of the gospel. Third mark is become a doer of the gospel and gospel truth. Now, I have to somewhat defend this point. So I've done something that I don't know if I'll ever do again. I've never did before is I projected the Greek text of verse 20. I will project the Greek text of verse 22 and attempt to read it, but I had to... English transliteration for you and for me in case I, it's my safety net. 
uh, <laughs> in case I'm, if I have a brain cramp here. Ganeste de poetai lagu kai me manan akroatai, that was a tough one, paralogitsa minoi hyotos, right? What does that mean? It means uh, become doers of the word, right? That's what it says in English. <laughs> Just be the same thing. But I put that on Greek because I want you to show the first word there is geneste, which is genomai, which is become. And that's the command. That's the main verb here. The verb is not do word. That's not the command. The command in verse 22 is become doers. Now in the, in the Greek, in English as well, the verb is become doers of the word. The command is genomai, become, come into existence, begin to be, come to pass, be made, become this person. The process who becomes a person who is obeying the gospel and obeying gospel commands, obeys Christ, obeys Christ's laws, obeys the scriptures. That is... Um, the burden of James because believers think that righteousness is repenting and just believing and they're done. James's burden is no. True righteousness is not just repenting and believing. It's repenting, believing, and becoming doers of righteousness. Doers of the word of God. That's not just James's burden. That's God's burden. It is seen throughout the scriptures, Matthew 12, 46 through 50. I'll just summarize it. Our Lord was ministering, and the man told him his mother and brothers were outside. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Verse 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Right. The fruit is in the pudding, right? The one who repents and believes and does God's will. Luke 6, 46-49, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, he is like a man who built a house, dug deep, laid the foundation on a rock, flood arose, stream broke against that house, could not shake it because it had been well built. He was a doer of the word of God. Verse 49, but the one who hears but does not do them is like a man who built a house in the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Luke 11, 27 to 28, someone said, blessed is the womb that bore you. Verse 28, he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Right. So the consistent called the revealed will of God in the Bible is this is repent believe and obey right and not only that if you don't obey you're just a hearer you're just a good listener a good student right you're just a good reader good meditator and you don't obey it's not a neutral thing there is a reverse dynamic at work it results in self deception it's a it's a dangerous thing to do it's a dangerous thing every time you come to church and you hear a sermon and you just listen as a, as a with a theoretical mindset 
intellectual curiosity. You just want to grow in understanding and grow in knowledge, and there is no intent or purpose to follow through. It is a dangerous thing because it causes you to be deluded. It causes you to paralogizomai, right? To be deluded, to be led astray, to be deceived. Now, what is the deception? Um, there, there are many lies that are, that are born out of this kind of mindset of just being a hearer only. Um, one lie is just merely reading or hearing a message is obedience that fulfills righteousness. That's a deception. Uh, uh, hearing is the end. My job is done as a Christian. I went to church. Right? And I sat through that long sermon and I listened to every word. And so my job, I fulfilled my requirement. Many lies related to this. I think the key deception is this, and it's explained in verses 23 through 25. And this deception is common to all of us, to all believers. It is the false conclusion that um, the reason for lack of obedience is that I lack discipline or I, I can obey if I just try harder, greater effort, if I will just commit myself more. So, okay, I agree. We need to be doers of the word. The deception is I got to give my effort towards that and that's the call of the scriptures. Now, why do I say that's the deception? Because that's what verse 23 to 25 says. James takes a different turn. It's an unexpected illustration. But consider what James is saying in verse 23. The illustration he uses is, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, the problem is not in his lack of effort, lack of commitment, lack of discipline, lack of self-control. That's not the problem. I mean, if he said that, I would preach that. But that's not what he, what he said here. If any man is not a doer of the word, what is he? He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. Kata noeo. Noeo is just a basic looking. Kata is a prefix, an intensive looking. You're scrutinizing yourself on this mirror. And you go away. And at once you forget what you look like. You at once forgets what he was like. This tells us repenting is important. Um, believing is important. But the third step, third mark, is not trying harder or more effort or more discipline. The third step is remembering. But the problem is you're forgetting. The problem is not the will, it's the remembering. You, you forget what you look like. The failure of this man is, not, is that he is deceived. He thinks if he just tries harder, he can obey when he's not able to obey. Only God can help him obey, strengthen, empower him to obey. Therefore, what he needs to do is recognize the importance of remembering. So, these three steps are not separate, uh, separate works. They're, they're connected. It's not like you repent. Okay, good. I'm done with repentance. Step two, believe. I'm done with believing. Now I do. And it's separate. No, 
I repent of my sins so that I would believe. And now that I believe, the third work is to remember my repentance and remember my faith in the gospel. And that's the power of obedience. Now, the illustration is, you know, it's happened, I don't know when, a few, few, maybe a year ago, I was shaving. I usually have an electric razor on this day. I don't know why. I use one of those like blade razors and I cut myself. I nick myself and I, don't, I never read this. I don't know if this is right or wrong. My dad did this. So I'm just assuming he knows what he was doing. But when he got a cut, he would put a little tissue paper on that, on that nick and keep it there for like 20, 30 minutes so that he wouldn't scab. So I did the same thing. I put it, I don't know, somewhere on my face. I saw myself. I told myself, Take this out when I, you know, when I leave the house. I'm driving down the street. I'm on a red light, and people are laughing at me, and I know why they're laughing because I still have that red blotch on my face, and I forgot. Right? I looked at myself. I've got this thing on my face. I went away, probably because of my kids. I forgot. <laughs> I had this on my face, and it wasn't. I didn't have the willpower, the discipline, or the desire, or the effort. But I forgot it was on my face. And so my sin, not my sin, but you know, illustrated purposes that remain. I, I watched documentary Fab Five a few weeks ago. Pretty good in documentary. Right? Five freshmen who started for the Michigan Wolverines years ago. And uh, one clear episode is championship game. Uh, down by one. Chris Ever gets the rebound. He travels. They didn't get a call. He dribbles down the court. And I believe the coach. I believe the assistant coaches. When they said, the coach told the players, we don't have a timeout. Right? So if you get the ball, go to the basket, and you got to score or get fouled. Well, what does Chris Weber do? He calls a timeout. Is it because he didn't want to win? Did he want to sabotage his teammates? Did he want to forfeit the game? No, he wanted to win. But he forgot that they didn't have any timeouts, technical foul, the other team scored two points, free throws, and the ball, and they lost. Well, that is um, what James is saying here. Become doers of the word. How do you become doers of the word? By remembering your repentance. Remembering how Christ died for this filthiness. Christ died for this wickedness. And so we're to turn from this. And that, what the gospel is, what the gospel tells you who we are as Christians. And we, and we remember what happens. God makes us into doers of the word. So we become this person, this Christian, this new creation, where we obey the scriptures where we walk in holiness. 2 Peter chapter 1, 5 through 10. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with bodily affection, brotherly affection with love. So we are to make every effort to grow in these qualities. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, verse 8, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not growing in these qualities, what's the problem? We are not to look at our lack of effort. We are to go to verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his 
former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So there is this like this dual uh, paradoxical experience of the Christian where physically we are laboring, we're striving, we're making every effort towards righteousness. But the call of the gospel is beyond that. As we make this effort, the call is to remember and not forget who we are, what God has done, what God has saved us from. And if we are failing in our efforts, our response is not work harder, more effort, more diligence or discipline. Our call is, I was, I'm blind. I forgot. I saw that clearly. Right? Sunday, we heard, we studied. Care group, we, we, we heard. This morning, quiet time, I saw it. And I forgot. I walked out that door. I forgot that was on my face. And all day long, that was the problem. If I remembered my repentance and my faith, then I would become this person that more and more obeys. And, and I, I like that. It's a, it's a process. It's not black and white. Are you doing the word? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I can be say, you know, we're all falling short. But you know what God is doing? God is making me a doer of the word. Right? God is doing this work in my life. And so I, am, I have not yet taken hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. But, you know, I am becoming this person who is growing in true righteousness. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. And I think he's talking here about the gospel and the scriptures. Right? So it's uh, Christ and the law of Christ. And perseveres to do so. Not being a hearer who forgets, but remembers, and a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. What is the result? of the man, of the person who fills the three marks of righteousness. He looks, he repents, he looks, he remembers, perseveres. That person, he will be blessed in his doing. It's a specific kind of blessing. His blessing is in his doing. And the Greek word is makarios, which is happy, joy, right? Blessedness. Let me take the opposite. If you are obeying the scriptures without these first two steps, or you are skipping the steps, you're skipping repentance, you're skipping believing, and you're jumping right into obeying, you don't experience blessedness. You don't experience makarias, happiness, or joy. What is being produced in your heart? anger right the very thing that does not bring about a righteous life it produces anger in your heart right produces instead of joy produces the opposite frustration self-condemnation right isolation and so your heart internal monologue and it comes out where you will go on and on about how other people are not obeying not working, not serving, not sacrificing, not doing the right thing. 
and how you are the only one that's obeying God. It's a self-martyr complex, a lot of self-righteous gossip. All of that is not joy. It's not blessedness. It's the exact opposite. But the person who does the three steps in that order, that person will be blessed and is doing what is that blessedness in his doing? There'll be this joy in his doing. As he becomes this doer of the word of God, as he obeys the scriptures, there is, uh, I mean, literally happiness. I think James saying is joy. Nehemiah 8.1, uh, when Nehemiah, we discovered the law and he read it to the people of Israel, and they were mourning. And he said, no, don't mourn. Today's not a day of mourning. Because God has saw fit to give us the scriptures, his commands. And he said in Nehemiah 8.10, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy. Right? We'll be able to do things for Christ. We'll obey Christ beyond their imagination. He will take us like Ingzon Weagle on his wings on eagles and we would run the path of his commands and obey because joy is given to us in our doing. First John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. All right. Because of this blessedness, it won't be a burden. Scriptures will be a source of our joy as we fulfill them as we walk in them as we obey them right. well let's close I'll close with four points right first three point is um, I want you to look at these three marks of true righteousness right. are you repenting of sin right. are you turning away you know, we're all committing sins, but do you hate your sins? Right? Do you confess your sins? Do you present your sins to God and confess? Do you confess your sins, James 5:16, to one another? Right? That shows that you hate sin. If you don't hate sin, you're hiding it, you're covering it up, you're keeping it to yourself, you're practicing it. If you hate it, you want to confess it to God, confess it to your to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, listing their help. Are you turning away from thorns and thistles that are choking out your joy? Could it be the lack of joy, the lack of power in your Christian life is because of filthiness and rampant wickedness in your life? Repent, renounce, turn away that's why Christ died for you. These are the sins for which Christ saved you. And then also though, don't dwell in that. Don't dwell there. Right? Don't live there. Move on to faith, to believe, to receiving the gospel. Receiving Christ. Every time you read the Bible, <coughs> every time you go to care group, every time you come to church to hear a sermon, Receive the gospel with, a, with humble hearts, right? with knowing how sinful you are, knowing just rampant filth and wickedness that is, that is in your life. Maybe broken to receive 
the gospel. Without that, your heart, your hardened heart, that is the reason why you're not growing in grace. It's not Christ. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not that God doesn't love you. Right? Some people you, God doesn't love me. That's why He's not helping me grow. That's not He's not working in my life. No, God loves you. How do we know? Because He gave His only Son. He gave Jesus, and He's going to withhold spiritual growth? He's going to withhold answered prayer for righteousness? No, He seeks to do that, but you're spurning His love. You're rejecting His love because of your hardness of heart. Thirdly, the contrast here is not hearing versus doing. The contrast is hearing versus remembering, which produces a doer. So are you seeking to remember? It's hard to remember. It's so very hard. Um, It's hard to remember when trials have come upon your life. When there's profound areas of sorrow and grief, pressure, difficulties in your life. At that moment, you lose yourself. And you forget about God and His love and the gospel and your sins. And you lose your way. And you don't obey, don't, you do not obey Christ. We're prone to forget during times of prosperity. Right? When God blesses you. Right? Sometimes trials are an aid. Right? Difficulties and, and pain, relational problems, it, it helps. The greater threat for the Christian is, is prosperity and when things are going well then we are prone to forget. So Deuteronomy 8, um, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just summarize it. God says, when you go to this land and you'll be prosperous, and then when you're prosperous, you're, you're going to forget about me. You're going to say, I did it. I'm the reason, we're the reason why our nation conquered this land, we're successful. Likewise, with all of your prosperity, things going well, you're going to say, I did it. You're going to forget who you are, who made you. And it's also uh, easy to forget during mundane times, right? All I say, we're constantly forgetful. I would say, especially when just the ebb and flow of life, when we least expect it, we got to recall the gospel. We call our repentance. I got this email recently from a good Christian, solid, solid believer. I got the person's permission to share this, and I'm just, I'm just read. A few months ago, I was homesick and driving to the drugstore when I heard someone talking on sports talk radio about college athletes wasting opportunities by doing marijuana. I cannot explain why, but I just felt this intense desire to buy marijuana and smoke it. I have never smoked marijuana, but the temptation and sin was beginning to overcome me from seemingly out of nowhere. I even called the medical marijuana clinic to find that information about how to get it legally and was ready to shipwreck my life and disregard God. To be honest, I think the reason I did not go in was because I was tired and took a nap. In short, my laziness kept me from sinning even more. After I woke up, 
the Holy Spirit really convicted me. I was shocked over how I could all of a sudden just forget about God, abandon my convictions, and try to indulge in such a sin. This problem of forgetfulness is a clear and present danger for each and every one of us. That is what causes us to disobey God or not obey Christ. Do you see the comparison here? It's not hearing and doing. It's hearing and remembering. Final point is, ask God to remind you. Pray that God will make you a believer who will not forget. A believer who will carry the water home. Who will carry this water with you wherever you go. Carry this water of your repentance and of Christ. Of who he is, what he has done, who we are now in light of Christ. And we will always have this with us and we will remember. And that will be the power for our true righteousness. All to his glory. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your kindness and your patience with us. We uh, we do test your patience by our tolerance, acceptance of sin by how by the hardness of our hearts the pride and arrogance how blind we are when we are confronted with the gospel and by how forgetful we are how quick we are to forget and how slow we are to remember Lord we remember now that this gospel is implanted in us we are kept not by the power of our love, but the power of your love. So God, we pray to you. Would you be merciful to us, grant to us genuine repentance, genuine faith, and uh, that we would persevere in remembering so that you would make us into people who are doers of the word of God doers of your commands. Lord, we entrust our lives to you. Our hearts have hope, our hearts have joy, because you are faithful. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand.